I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast and then story and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical, when in truth it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the imaginative. Uh, we're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories, that we would see the people in them as real people and that that might help us connect to maybe God is real too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast? And what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this the breakfast translation. So the big idea of this podcast that you already heard in our intro, but I want to say it again, is to celebrate breakfast and specifically breakfast in the Bible. And we're going to look, we're going to start this week in the book of Acts and we're going to be in Acts 1. But before we get into Bible stuff, I just want to talk about one of, we talked about how this is also a celebration of just stories we like. One of my favorite stories that I've even gone back to rewatch recently is the Parks and Recreation story, the story of Leslie Nope. And I just watched an episode where she and Ron Swanson were eating at JJ's Waffles together. And one of them, I can't remember which one said it, said, why would anyone eat anything other than breakfast food? That, that was you, Leslie. Well. <laughs> it probably was. And yeah. Ron's response was because people are idiots. <laughs> That's right. That sounds like Ron Swanson. Yeah. It's funny going back because now that we're doing this podcast, like I'm seeing breakfast all around me. Like in every, everywhere there's breakfast mentioned, I feel extra sensitive to it. Um, but you love the Parks and Rec story, right? I sure do. If you yeah. had to pick, if you were Ron Swanson or Leslie Nope, which one do you feel like embodies Keaton Case? I feel like Leslie probably embodies Keaton Case a little bit more than Ron Swanson, but I'm working to be more and more Ron. I'm working on my mustache. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but more just his ability to sort of not, not care too much about what's going on with other people's thoughts on, on himself. I feel like he's really good at isolating. Yeah, he's very mm -hmm. independent. Mm -hmm. And I love their dynamic because they are very different. And I just kind of love watching how much they, I don't know if that happens enough in real life, but in story form, we get to see what it's like when people who are very different try to make something together. Absolutely. What about you? Are you more Ron or are you more Leslie? Oh, I'm, I think I'm very Ron Swanson. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah, because in all the in all the best ways. <laughs> yeah, especially my woodworking. I think yes. I'm very. I've made a lot of canoes, um, but I I think I I appreciate the Leslie Nopes of the world who do externalize good things. I just like to, yeah, keep that all to myself, but except for making a podcast. Right, this is a very Leslie Nope thing to do. I don't think Ron Swanson would ever, would ever engage any kind of podcasting. I would so, listen to it, though. I know. It would probably be really good. Uh, we'll have to look into whether the real life wants once, and he and his wife, they might actually have a podcast. But um, So in our first episode, do you remember what we talked about? In our first episode, do I remember what we talked about? Yes. We talked about... <laughs> <laughs> this is the test. I'm scrolling up in my notes right now. That's cheating. About. That's so cheating. So we, I don't know, I can't summarize. 
It's because I didn't put it all in the notes, so no, you have to make it up. I only put a little bit there. Oh, you want me to sit to yes, rescue you? Yes, I apologize. I'm sorry. It's, it's just Jesus' <laughs> resurrection, so it's not, you know, the thing that the whole Christian faith rests on or anything. It's, we, we looked at the very last chapter in the book of Acts, where Jesus, who has just come out of the grave and somehow found clothes to put on, he goes and hangs out with his friends and they eat uh, fish for breakfast on the beach. And we kind of used breakfast as a way to talk about that. Like what kind of a body did Jesus have and what does that tell us that he was able to eat breakfast and that he ate it with his friends. And so that is the big idea of the podcast is to look at scripture and sometimes we'll get notes about the actual breakfast that they ate and it might teach us something really important. But sometimes we're also just kind of imagining what they might have had for breakfast has a way to just remind ourselves that these were uh, very often these are real stories that happen to real people, and even if even if we just have to imagine what they might have had for breakfast, we might understand them better, and we might understand the kind of days that they were living in. This episode, we're taking that turn from Luke to Acts, and we kind of talked about last time how Acts is kind of a sequel. It's written by the same person to the same person from Luke to his friend Theophilus, and it's the continuation of the story where all the things we see Jesus do in Luke, his followers are now going to try to do in Acts. And one of the things uh, that I've always thought when you open up a new book to the Bible, a good way to start is to like open it up and to really dramatically say in the movie voice, the movie guy voice, to say in a world where. Do your best. You do yours. What would you do? In a world where. Yeah. You got to drop down. You got to get that inner Ron Swanson going. In a world where Jesus has recently ascended into the heavens and his disciples are left to see what to do next. <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's the movie, movie style voice. In a world where. And the reason that's a good thing to do when you open up the book is because if you think about it, when you watch movie trailers, that's the point where they, like, they establish the rules of the movie. So you kind of figure out what's going on, like what time of the history is it, is magic possible in this world? Who's our, who are we supposed to be paying the most attention to? What's the trouble going on? So if you make the movie movie guy voice, you'll figure out what's the rules of this book? What do I know about it? So in the book of Acts, there are a few different rules. One is we try, they're trying to keep the works and the words of Jesus going. And also as we're gonna see, it's very, they're troublemaking uh, all along the way. They disrupt all kinds of systems that are in place uh, one of the big rules of this world is that you are supposed to be hospitable. And we're going to see how through breakfast and lunch and dinner, um, the work of Jesus keeps going. Also, one of the major characters, like who would you say, you haven't read the book of Acts very much, right? Except for to do this podcast. Mm -mm. But if you had to say who the main characters are, who would you guess? In Acts? Yeah, if you saw a movie trailer for the book of Acts, who would you see as the, the main characters? I might say the main character is, is Luke. Okay. He's a writer. He does show up. Sometimes he says we. So yeah. he's in there. He's doing stuff. Uh, all the disciples in general, I'd say, yeah. are the main characters. Yeah, and then Paul, mm -hmm. right? Paul gets added. We get his story uh, in the book of Acts through the second half. But one of the main characters that doesn't really show up, if you had a movie trailer, it would be kind of hard to show this, uh, but it's the spirit of Jesus this idea of a Holy Spirit. Uh, 
The Holy Spirit gets referenced like a whole mess of times in the book of Acts. And if you think about it, uh, the Holy Spirit is, we don't always know how to talk about it. It's kind of an undercredited piece of who God is. And Acts is like not afraid to say the reason this happened is because some part of who Jesus is and some part of who God the creator is, is working in the world through the disciples and sometimes outside of the disciples. And so we're going to see that even in the first and second chapters. Uh, one thing that is just important to kind of say up front is that Acts is really the story of the church. And so I thought it might be kind of interesting because this is a world in a world where, uh, if we were talking about our own world right now, one of the, the things that's in question for a lot of people is the place of the church. Uh, so I thought it might be good for us to just talk through if we can do it in like 30 seconds or less. Keaton, what is the story of you and the church? I grew up in the church. My dad has always worked in ministry, so I, I feel like my experience with that might be a little bit unique to other kids whose parents were in ministry, though, since I felt like I had all the resources available to me uh, um, as far as being part of the church, but I also felt like it was a little bit more of a hands-off, here is what is at your disposal. I hope you can find where you fit in on, on your own and at your own pace. Yeah, I would say that about your your family's life. You, We have like a cliche picture sometimes of what it means to be a, a child of somebody who's in ministry, but you guys had a lot of freedom to figure out your own mm-hmm. your own way if you wanted. Yeah, freedom, but also I'm blessed to have those resources yeah, if it, I so choose. In your own life now, and I don't know if you want to answer this, mm-hmm. but what would you do you go to church? Do you pay attention to church? Is it a part of your life? Not nearly as much as when I was younger. I'm sort of hungering for that again and trying to sort of navigate what that should look like in my adulthood. I graduated from college two years ago, and I'm trying to sort of restructure my life and see what it should, how it should fit and what role it'll play. Yeah, I think a lot of people go through periods like that where mm-hmm. they have to to refine it and redefine it for themselves a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I'm definitely an angsty Christian territory. <laughs> That's a good place to be in. Uh-huh. I spent most of my life there, yeah. so I like that space. Ready to learn and unlearn and all of the all of the things. Yeah, I've heard people say the idea of like being born again. It's not being born again. It's being born again and again and again. Right. And again. You right. Know? And that includes the communities that we're a part of that they need to be born again and again and again Mm -hmm. um one of the things that happens in the book of acts is like when you study it sometimes it gives you this this picture of the church that's sometimes ideal but it's also not ideal like even back then people were not sure how it was supposed to change their world or how it was supposed to work or they would not get along like luke that's the reason he ducks out sometimes is because he gets in fights with some of the other disciples so it's never been a perfect thing even back in these days when it was at its beginnings Um, My own story with the church, I also grew up in the church, but for most of my young life, I did not want to go. So I would fake like I was asleep, and I would make up other things to do. And if I did have to go, I was in the back of the room with my arms crossed, refusing to sing the songs and do all the things, uh, until about middle school, when I think most people in middle school, your world falls apart a little bit, and that definitely happened to me. My world kind of fell apart a little bit in middle school, and the church became a refuge uh, to me and a kind of sanctuary. And so I have wrestled with it, I think, for my whole life. 
while working for it. Yes. <laughs> so I, I currently work for a church here in Dayton where we're sitting and recording today. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I wrestle with the idea of church all the time. I do my very best to not make my whole world inside of a church community because I think there's so many things we see in scripture that call us to make the church wherever we go mm -hmm. too. So I'm in, I'm in, in a wrestling place as well, yeah. even though I get my paycheck from a church. Yes. So <laughs> it's good. Those are good questions to ask. Hopefully as we go through, um, we'll find questions that we're asking and ones that other people are asking too. So um, starting here at the very first church meeting, and we should say that part of looking at this through has the breakfast translation, uh, that some of the passages we're going to look at, especially in Acts, food is a very big deal. One of the rules of the book of Acts is that food is super important. We talked about this, this idea of table fellowship, that they lived in a world where you aren't what you eat, you are who you eat with. And so sometimes we'll have very direct references to breakfast. In this passage, in Acts 1, there's no actual reference to breakfast. So we have to cheat a little bit on this episode. But we can kind of talk about what the actual breakfast they would have eaten. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think they would have eaten? Would, if you imagine like the world of biblical times where people wore robes and sandals and stuff, yeah, well, do you ever well, imagine what they John, ate? They were just fishing and yeah. chomping on fish. <laughs> so far we know fish. That's I a know. big piece of their diet. I know. Yeah. I, I have no idea. All I can picture is maybe there's, there's bowls and spoons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that may be. I, I can't picture pancakes in this scenario. But I, I like to think there might have been pancakes. Yeah, it's nice to think that they they could have that Jesus might have gotten to eat a good pancake or a waffle once in a while. Mm -hmm. Frosted um, flakes. <laughs> that's right. I, I mean, one thing we know is that it's a very agricultural world, right? So right. they they didn't have a huge process. The things that they would have eaten would have probably been close to the form that the world gave them. So one of the things I have just recently read a book called Phoebe by Paula Gooder that does a really good job of imagining the world of Acts. Okay. And it's actually just, it's about Phoebe who carried the, the letter to the Romans from Paul. And she does a ton of research just on daily life. Uh -huh. And so one of her footnotes was about breakfast. Absolutely. And so what I learned from Paula Gooder is that a lot of their actual breakfast would have been barley bread. Okay. Do you know much about barley bread? I, I don't. I don't. When I Googled barley bread, it looked like the, like, super grainy like the kind of really healthy bread that okay. you're supposed to eat where there's like chunks and stuff. But they would also, they would dip it in delicious things. So they had like oil available to them, like olive oils. So if you go to like a fancy Italian restaurant yes. and they give you like the dipping oils. Yeah, it's got they would have had that. big old pepper flakes. And, yeah, mm -hmm. they would have had delicious oil. They would have had honey. Like that goes, bees are super old, so okay, honey is super old. Fill the sweet side of breakfast. That's way. right. I wonder if they crave sweet things in the morning too. Maybe so. Mm -hmm. So if they wanted frosted flakes, they could have just dipped their barley bread in honey. Um, and they could also, you know, if you're feeling frisky, you could also dip it in wine. Okay. So you think about like how vital wine was to their diet just because it is, there's vineyards all around, it's hot temperature. Right. So that would have been a pretty like normal thing to them. It okay. wouldn't have been bizarre. Yeah. We'll get into that next episode. We'll right. talk about the time that they might have been drunk in the morning. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So maybe sometime we should just get try to locate some barley bread and taste it on the air. And we'll be like that show where they eat chicken wings, only 
it'll be barley bread. bread. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it'd be a white bread podcast. So, uh, so we don't have like a lot of notes about their actual breakfast, but they are kind of in a business meeting. So this is where we get to just kind of imagine, um, if you had a bunch of stuff you had to get done, Mm-hmm. What would you what what would you wake up that day and eat? Yeah, well, that's that seems to be when the intern brings in the boxes of Panera bagels, boxed coffee. Yes, <laughs> I think out there to go cups. It uh, means business, and you're talking while you're getting served. That's right. Something simple like mm-hmm. that you can just eat and go. Um, that's a big appeal of like fast food breakfast. Um, I also I don't know. We'll have to do some research as we go. I don't know if they had like coffee. I don't know if they had caffeine. Right. Maybe they did. We know they have like teas and stuff. Okay. But we'll have to figure out if they had coffee. Because I imagine they have so much stuff to get done in this first chapter. So the first thing they have to do is uh, say a certain kind of goodbye to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? There's this story that is one of the most, of all the things Jesus does, I think this ascension is the most mysterious story. Because yeah. you can like go along in the story of Jesus and he's so earthy. Like his stories are about like the working class or the fields. His stories are very grounded in agriculture and in the world right around him. Right. And then you get to this, like if you were telling this story across the table to somebody while you're eating waffles, they'd be totally on board with the story of Jesus. Yes. And then they'd get to the end and you might tell the cross story and that would have a certain power to it, like the idea of a sacrificial death. And then you would tell the story of the resurrection. And even though it's kind of fantastic and a miracle, it has an appeal to us. Like yes. It, we want it to be true. Right, right. And we, we've seen Jesus raise people from the dead prior. So, yeah. So, okay, okay, I've acclimated to this idea. Yeah, and it's something we talk about so much, right? right. We just had Easter. It's something we talk about so much that we've kind of accepted that as a part of the story. Mm-hmm. But we hardly ever get to this part where he, he disappears into the clouds, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, says he enters into the heavens and his friends who have spent these last 40 days having breakfast with him have to say a sort of goodbye and I I never know what to do with this story except that I love N.T. Wright what he says about it is that Jesus doesn't this isn't him disappearing this is not like an Elvis has left the building moment (laughs) right this is not him going far away or flying up like he's a Marvel superhero Mm -hmm. Uh, N.T. Wright says one way of understanding that idea that he goes into the heavens in verse 11 is that he goes to fill the space. That he actually, he's still present. He's just present in a way that is now, that's no longer limited to the breakfast table. Right. That's no longer right there with them, but it's everywhere with them. I I like that idea because I feel like whenever I picture the heavens and, and Jesus going to the heavens, you would look up. You'd picture him going away from where you are. Yeah. out into a place that you can't reach anymore. So the idea of going everywhere to me feels feels comforting. Yeah, and that's how God can feel to us sometimes, right? Is that God is so far away. But this is the idea that, that Christ enters into the heaven. And so when we see the Spirit then working, and sometimes the Holy Spirit in Acts is called the Spirit of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so their understanding is that Jesus is still in the mix with them. And what's also true in this book is that in the same way that Jesus doesn't stay local, his story doesn't stay local. That the whole idea, they have this sense of a mission, the reason they need carbs for breakfast every day, the reason they need that good barley bread that has all that, all those grains in it, is because they have this sense that they need to go tell the whole entire world about the stories that Jesus told, um, 
about the fact that he, he died on a cross, that that had some meaning, and that the fact that they saw him eat a fish sandwich three days later. So they have this burning sense of mission. It tells us that they're going to go first to Jerusalem, which is the place closest to them. They're going to make sure every, all their neighbors have heard the story. Then they're going to go to Judea, which is the region around them, and then they're going to go to the ends of the earth. So Acts is about not only Jesus himself going from one place to all the places, but Jesus' story going from one place uh, to all the places. So they do business, right? They have, to, they have to get themselves ready for this. And one of the things that they do is like very much just a, a business meeting. They have to, to figure out who's going to be the next disciple. We have this. Who are you going to vote for? <laughs> yeah, it is. There's like a little bit of a campaign that uh -huh. happens in this meeting. But basically they're trying to decide because Judas, uh, it turns out that once you betray Jesus, uh, you no longer get to be like a disciple. Yeah. Plus, yeah. plus he dies. That. More yeah. than that. Yeah. What did you notice about his death story? I noticed that. Uh, did, did he explode? Implode? <laughs> it sounds like he does, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. It says right there. Um, it says that he falls, my, my version says he falls headlong. He burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Yes, I don't remember that drawing in Sunday school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they hardly ever get around to the bowels gushing out. It didn't fit on the flannel graph. Um, there's some speculation about this. Uh, one view of this is that in ancient literature, if somebody died a shameful death, then the story that would be told would give a graphic description of how they died. So not only, so they might embellish it, they might even make it sound even worse than it is. So maybe he simply did hang himself um, or something that was physically simpler than his gut spilling out. But it was this idea that if you died in a way that was shameful, they would add details to that. We have a little bit of that in our world where when somebody dies and we love them, we kind of protect some of those details, like we might not give a description to people because we don't want to shame their, their story, right? right. And it, there can be embarrassing things that happen when somebody dies or just the frailty of that. But if somebody's, sh if it's a shameful death, then we might not like keep those details sacred. Right. You were saying that's kind of like Game of Thrones. Yeah, does that? yeah. I, I don't know if anybody on here has watched Game of Thrones, but you know, you see, you see eyeballs popping out. You see, and it seems like the characters that you're rooting against t tend to get the more um, gruesome deaths to to finalize that. Yeah, there's a satisfaction of that in a story, right? Yeah. If if somebody has been evil or if they've done the wrong thing, you want some justice, some satisfaction. You want you don't want them to have like a Right. To peacefully die in their sleep. Yes. And the idea, as a viewer, it makes you feel kind of spooky because you don't want to <laughs> be rooting for this gruesome death, but something about the way that they direct that show makes you... There's some satisfaction, yeah. right? I have in my head that when Voldemort, you just evaporates, mm -hmm. you know, and you see him go into pieces. That's a little bit of, of the description of, of Judas here. And so because he's out of the picture, there's this sense that they need a 12th. Uh, they need a 12th man, and it does let us know, one of the things about Luke is that he makes a point of always telling you that it wasn't just men, that there were several women who were also in this close inner circle, but that that 12 number was very important because they understood themselves as fulfilling the story of Israel that started a way long time ago and that involved 12 tribes. So there was this sense yeah. of completion. Um, and what's fascinating is that they kind of, it says they, they cast lots. It's almost like they rolled the dice. 
or like they played um, uh, paper, rock, scissors, basically. Uh-huh. And, but their understanding is that God would basically decide who won the paper, rock, scissors. Uh-huh. I like to think that they had to do like a best of three situation right. or something so, yeah. um, yeah. to figure it out. What's fascinating is that it came down to two people and there's one guy who was like almost mm-hmm. an apostle. Yes. <laughs> you know? Like the I wonder story of the almost apostle. Yeah. What does he do the rest of his life? Like is that his first line? Yeah, it's like, like when the he Beatles, meets didn't they didn't they swap out the drummer for yeah. Ringo at the last the fifth Beatle. Hour? Yeah. There's always somebody who's like so close uh, to goodness. Um, and that's basically what happens. Like Acts 1 is them getting ready. And I think one of the things, like we try to every time say, is there something about this that should make us think differently about our own breakfast? And I don't know if you have an answer to that. I think mine would be that it is a way to like slow yourself down and get ready for what's ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, when I was younger, like I would get up at the very last possible second and I had it down to like a science that like I, if I had to be somewhere by 8.30, then the latest time I could get up would be like 7.30 or 7.45 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would try to leave as little room as possible just so I could sleep longer. And then as I got older, one of the things that happened is that I wanted space in the morning. Like I wanted to be able to sit still right. and like get, get ready. And I feel like that's one thing we see here in Acts 1 is them getting ready for what's to come. I agree. I remember when I was in uh, grade school and we would get ready for standardized tests, the things that the teachers would say time and again is how important it was that you got up and ate an actual breakfast. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah, that, that we need to find some way to like stare off into the distance in the morning mm-hmm. and then it might set the tone uh, for the day ahead or for the mission ahead. Yeah. So next week, if you're reading along with us, we're gonna get into Acts 2 that is all about food. We had to kind of squeeze, make food fit into this one, but Acts 2 is actually all about food. We appreciate you listening in, and we hope you'll read along with us and maybe imagine the world that made the church, and maybe it'll help us imagine the world that we live in now. Uh, You're going to hear music on your way in and out of our podcast, and I should mention uh, that that is provided by my sister, Chris Reffitt, who died when she was 34, breast cancer. She was a, a songwriter and a worship leader, and she enjoyed peanut butter and sugar on her waffles because she lived life to the fullest and she wrote good songs. So thanks for joining us on The Breakfast Translation. The